My friends, welcome back. Welcome back to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Thus making the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. So you're very welcome whether you're here for the very first time or you're a regular and you've been with us for this journey for over two years now. If you are here for the first time, then you can make the decision if you want to just pick up where you've picked up today or to go right back to the start and just do the whole series at whatever pace works for you. And if you are here for the first time, then why not subscribe wherever you're getting your podcasts from and that way you won't miss another single episode. So we'll drop back in and pick up where we left off last time, but please do hang on at the end where I'll tell you lots of ways you can connect with the ministry and receive and have access to other completely free Bible study resources. Okay, I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. Okay, friends, we're picking up today in this two days we're spending looking at this conversation about the limits and how much is there a limit on forgiveness where Peter has come to Jesus and asked that very question, asked him if you like to set a measuring rod on the level of forgiveness that we should be expected to give. And then Jesus illustrates it with the parable of the unfaithful servant. So we've had Peter come up and question Jesus about how much he should need to forgive people. And Jesus has pretty much said that the forgiveness that we offer should be limitless. But then what he does is he illustrates this for Peter by the use of a parable. So I'll begin reading verses 23 through to 35. And the plan will be, as always, to go through it verse by verse, and then at the end try and pull the whole thing together, get to the heart of what it really means and how we might apply it in our lives. I hope that sounds good. So I'm picking up in verse 23 of chapter 18. And this is Jesus speaking. Therefore, he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and cancelled the debt and let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins, and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have shown mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. 
Okay, so this parable opens with the opening line, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. That's an interesting way to start this parable. A king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants and a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Now that is an enormous sum of money. Let me see if I can communicate just how much that is. All the taxes for Palestine at that time were around 8,000 talents, 8,000 gold coins, and it estimated, Bible experts has estimated this servant in this parable, it suggested that he owes 10,000 talents. So that's an enormous amount. A talent, a gold coin, was a very valuable item. It was much more valuable than a silver coin. It would take a man sometimes up to 20 years just to accumulate the value of one talent, one gold coin. And this servant is said to owe 10,000. Now, the estimates I've read and the people who've studied this say that that today would amount to, well, there's huge range, anything from a low figure of 20 million to around 200 million. I even find one statement that said it was probably closer to more like a billion pounds today. So we shouldn't miss the obvious point here that this is meant to be hyperbole. The point is that this is such an enormous sum that it's almost unimaginable. But it also draws attention to the fact that the servant in this case is probably someone who is in the king's favour, very likely someone who was meant to represent him, perhaps someone like someone who was in charge of finances or taxes. Perhaps even he was the one who was meant to be administering the king's kingdom, which would have included, of course, the collection of taxes here. So don't think of this servant in the sense of being a poor slave outside of the benefits of living in the kingdom. It's the opposite, in fact. But Jesus, in this parable, he's choosing to make the sum of money so enormous that it would be obvious to anyone listening to it that this was an amount that never could be paid. And that's the point of it, which is why in verse 25 it tells us, since he could not pay, the master ordered that his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. So he calls in the debt. Now the important thing was, of course, that this guy was not able to pay. So the king says, well, I'll take your wife and children into custody. That was in line with the practice of that day. If you were a debtor, you could actually voluntarily sell yourself into indebted servitude. But if the debt was so big, then a call could be made upon your wife and children and everything you had to make the debt. In other words, your family would become indebted employees, slaves as it were, to the person that you owed money to, working for them until the debt was paid off. And that's the sort of idea that's going on here. And a man is willing to do that. That's what he's offering. But it then says in the next verse, At this the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay you everything back. Now, given the size of the money involved here, that's reasonable to say that's an absurd statement. He couldn't possibly pay it back. It was a debt that was unpayable. But it says that the master of the servant was moved with compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. So based on compassion, he forgave him. It was not anything that the servant himself did to clear the debt. It was the compassion of the king which cleared it by saying, I will forgive you. And he forgave him 10,000 talents, bags 
holding 10,000 gold coins. That was the amount. And he doesn't even accept a small payment that he might have received through the indebting of him and his family. So by clearing the debt, we have to recognise that this has cost the king an enormous sum. Now anyone that approaches and understands the New Testament perspective on this can't possibly miss the message here in this passage that we too have an enormous debt before God and it is a debt of sin, a debt which also must be paid and a debt that cost the life of his son to pay. Anyway, the plot thickens. The parable continues and says, but when the servant went out, so this guy's been forgiven now, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins and he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay me back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay back. This rings a bell again, doesn't it? Sounds very similar. But let me just say that these hundred gold coins, they're a relatively small amount of money. Somewhere I read said it was equivalent to a couple of months wages. It was certainly a tiny insignificant amount of debt compared to the huge amount that had been forgiven of our servant a few moments earlier. Note his fellow servant makes exactly the same request as he just did and yet he does not forgive his fellow servant. In fact in verse 30 it says he refuses him and instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. The custom in that day was if you couldn't pay a sum, a debt, you could be put into jail and it was normal in that day sometimes to throw someone into jail in the hope that the family would come up with the money to bail you out, which would have been the cost of the debt plus some additional fees for the prison system. You know, C.S. Lois writing about forgiveness said this, everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have someone to forgive. Anyway, I think that's the principle by which this guy lived. Anyway, let's see what happens next. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as you experienced? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. Now, don't get too wrapped up in interpreting this thing about being handed over for torment as being related to heaven and hell in the future. This is actually about being tormented in the everyday because it says he is handed over to the jailers to be tortured until the day he pays back all he owes. So this isn't talking about the eternal torment of hell. It's talking about the effect of not being willing to forgive other people in our everyday lives. Notice he says, you experienced forgiveness, but you did not extend it to your fellow servant. And the king, the master, calls that wickedness. Think about it. If you've been forgiven a debt valued at 20 million, yet the same day you won't forgive someone else their debt of a tiny pitiful amount of money that was owed you, then what are going to be the consequences of that? Remember always that the debt of money talked about here is just a metaphor for the forgiveness of sins. So if you've been forgiven and you don't extend that forgiveness to someone else, well, let's see what the conclusion is. And it tells us in verse 35, So my heavenly Father also will do it to you 
if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brothers their trespasses. What is it, it is telling us here is that if you do not forgive and you continue to harbour resentment in your heart, then it will damage your relationship with God. What I'd like to do is sum up what I think this passage is saying and I'd like to go beyond this passage and explore the whole subject of forgiveness. I think when we talk about forgiveness, some issues need to be addressed. I think this is a crying need in the church today. I think this passage is saying that if someone sins against you, particularly a fellow Christian, then you are to forgive that brother or sister and that forgiveness is to be without limit. Firstly, because God has forgiven you first, but also because Jesus is telling us here that if you don't do that, you will be tormented by being left to the repercussions of the decision of choosing not to forgive. The father-child relationship with God will not change. God is still your father, but in a sense, you will be sent to the naughty step, so to speak. He will leave you to experience the consequences of living a life full of unforgiveness. So this is important to address this. So we need to have an understanding of the whole subject of forgiveness. And I want to address that whole subject by narrowing it down and making four simple statements that I believe rise out of this passage and are fundamentally and importantly true. First statement is, we need to recognise we ourselves have an enormous debt that we cannot pay. And one of these days we're going to stand before God with that debt of sin still hanging round our neck. Do you understand and appreciate that? Because if you don't understand that, then everything else I'm saying almost every week on this podcast is not going to mean anything or make any sense to you. You may think that you have maybe not sinned as much as other people out there, but that's not the issue. Sin isn't a list of things you have done or not done. It's not a transactional list. Sin is the fallen state in which we live. The issue is that I, that we, have all sinned against God and we cannot pay that debt of sin on our own. There is nothing you or I can possibly do to make up for the sins we've committed against God. There's nothing that we can do to pay the debt for our sins. I'm totally convinced, and believe me, I've wrestled with this subject for years and years. I've studied it a lot, but this all really comes down to the fact that we Every individual on this planet who walks this earth needs to understand that they have, to use the the metaphor here used by Jesus, is they have a debt with God, a debt of sin, a debt you cannot pay. And without understanding that, the rest of the gospel, the rest of the Bible really doesn't make sense. So the first statement is you have an enormous debt that you cannot pay. But thank God for Christ that God has a plan by which that debt can be paid. So the second statement is, God has forgiven us our debt. In the parable here, Jesus told us that the servant has a debt he cannot pay, but yet the king forgave him. Please note, he forgave that debt. He didn't defer it. He didn't cancel it. He wiped the slate clean at a great cost to himself. In the same way, God does not brush our sin under the carpet. He does not defer it. God had to pay for it and he paid for it when he sent his only son Jesus Christ. And if you don't understand that as well, then what I'm also going to say and what I say every day and every week in this podcast will also not make any sense to you. 
I have been forgiven for a debt I could not pay. But the one that paid the cost of that debt for me was Jesus, who died in my place and suffered the consequences of my sin in place of instead of me. If you know that to be true, for you also personally, then you are able to grasp hold the greatest truth that I believe humanity has ever known. Forgiveness of our sin, the wiping of our slate clean, the payment of our debt has all to do with the unconditional love of God, the unfathomable grace of God in Christ, and that we can be forgiven truly, but solely because Jesus died and took our place. We got off the consequences of that debt because he paid that debt in full. Third statement we should take out of this in our understanding of forgiveness is that we are compelled to forgive others because we were first forgiven. God, for Jesus' sake, forgave us. He bore the cost. He doesn't continue to count the offences against us. God has forgiven us, forgiven me, forgiven me, forgiven me over and over again. And if that weren't true, I wouldn't be sitting here today doing what I'm doing now. I want to read you a quick quote by a Christian writer called David Osberger. He wrote a book called Forgiveness. Now in this quote he's actually talking about forgiveness within a marriage, so there's a good lesson to take out there if it applies to you. But listen carefully for what I believe is one of the greatest statements I've read outside of the Bible concerning the whole principle of forgiveness. Osberger writes, Forgiveness is hard, especially in a marriage. A marriage may be tense with past troubles, tormented by fears of rejection and humiliation, and torn by submission and mistrust. Forgiveness hurts, especially when it is to be extended to a husband or a wife who don't deserve it, where the one who hasn't earned it is the one who may have misused it. It hurts to forgive. Forgiveness costs. It means instead of demanding repayment for the wrong done against us, it means releasing that person instead of exacting revenge upon them. It means reaching out in love instead of holding on to resentments. It costs to forgive. Forgiveness takes place when the person who was offended and justly angered by the offender bears his own anger and lets the other go free. Anger cannot be ignored, denied. It must be dealt with responsibly, honestly, in a decisive act of will. Forgiveness, friends, is also a supernatural gift of the Holy Spirit. It takes the grace of God to truly do it. But the other issue that cannot be ignored is if we've actually been enabled to get to that place when we forgive other people, what do we do with that relationship afterwards? Some people do indeed sin so grievously against us that we feel that we can't trust them anymore. What should we do with those feelings? What should we do with that reality? Does God's forgiveness mean that you can never and must never trust them again? And my answer is, it depends on the circumstances. It depends on the situation and every situation is different. Forgiveness never says you're going to be able to be immediately free of the emotion. And forgiveness does not say you need to immediately trust the other person and assume that they won't sin against you. Forgiveness simply means that you're going to relinquish the right to be hurt and to hurt that other person because they hurt you. Those emotions, think of them like a church bell. You pull the rope and the bell clangs and the, and the clangor bangs in the bell. 
but over time it slowly and slowly bangs less and less and the clamour of the bell gets less and less over time. And that's what I think forgiveness allows emotion to do over time. It allows it to subscribe rather than turn into resentment. Okay, so that's how forgiveness will deal with the emotion. But what about the relationship with that person afterwards? Well, note there's nothing in the story that says that the king, the master, forgave him and then turned around and lent him another 10,000 talents, did he? The offender will need to earn the trust again, and that can take time. And the fourth statement, the final important thing we can learn from this if we read the text closely, it's strongly advising us because it tells us that if we don't forgive others, that we will remain angry and conflicted, tormented, tortured even. God will deal with the offences, the sins of the other person, regardless of what we do, whether we choose to forgive them or not. But for us, I think there are eternal consequences of allowing those who have sinned against us to remain unforgiven. In the New Testament book of James in chapter 2, James writes and says that one day you will stand before God and the judgment seat of Christ. And if you have shown mercy, you will receive mercy. And if you haven't, he says, well, he says that mercy will triumph over judgment, but that God will apply the same level of grace as you showed other people. So my point is that if you don't extend forgiveness to others, then it's likely you're going to be tormented in this life by the consequences of that decision, by remaining angry, remaining resentful against the individual or the individuals who have sinned against you, but safe eternally in the knowledge that Jesus is going to wipe away all tears at the end of all things. But at the judgment seat of Christ, we too are going to weep because we will know fully that we didn't do what he said we should do and we will know the consequences of making that wrong choice. Forgiving other people is one of those things that we definitely should have done. And if you don't forgive, you will be tormented. You see, a lot of people get mixed up about this. Are you someone who believes that forgiveness is only for the benefit of the one who is forgiven? Is it only a gift for the one who has done something wrong? Don't make the mistake of thinking that if you forgive someone that your goodness will only benefit that other person. Now that may be true of course if they accept their need of forgiveness and turn to God in repentance but they may not do that. That may not be the case. They may not neither know or care that you have forgiven them And yet God will still deal with that at the appropriate time. Forgiveness actually really only has a direct effect on the person offering it. It only benefits the person receiving it if they recognize the need of forgiveness. But it will always, always have a positive effect on us and our relationship with the Lord. And the benefit is we are able to live a life of peace instead of always being tormented by feelings of hostility and revenge. The road and path of life is steep enough without us carrying the weight of resentment and forgiveness on our back. Hungarian Karl Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, one of the world's most influential living psychiatrists, wrote in 1996, if I could convince the patients of the psychiatric hospitals that their sins were truly forgiven, 75% of them could walk out the next day. 
Now, I don't have time to pursue this here today, but I've alluded to some of the consequences of unforgiveness. But I'm just pointing out that they go way beyond what we can even imagine. It clearly affects our relationships with people around us. It affects you. It affects your friends and family. It affects your relationship with God. And yet it may very well have no effect on the person who you have forgiven and who has sinned against you. I think unforgiveness affects you mentally and emotionally and physically. And as someone said, as the Hungarian psychiatrist pointed out, the mind and the body can catch each other's diseases. So you can't really have something toxic bouncing around in your mind without it affecting your body. Medicine is discovering that more and more each day. You have to learn to forgive. You cannot spend all your energy rehearsing the offences against you. Because if you do, it'll suck out the very zest of life out of you. The world's worst prison is the prison of the unforgiving heart. If we refuse to forgive others, then we're only imprisoning ourselves and causing our own torment. That's what it teaches here. Some of the most miserable people in the world are those who won't forgive other people. But they're really only punishing themselves. If we live our lives only calling out for the justice of God, always seeking to call down the judgment of God upon those who have sinned against us, always seeking to get what we feel is ours by right, we will find ourselves in a prison of our own making. But if we live according to the divine principle of forgiveness, sharing with others what God has shared with us, then we can enjoy freedom and joy. Peter here, in a sense, asked for a measuring rod for forgiveness. He asked, what is the limit of the forgiveness that we should offer? And Jesus told him, just practice forgiveness and forget about the measuring rod. I say to you, you need to forgive in order to set the prisoner free. And if you do that, you will discover that the prisoner who was really in need of being released was in fact you. Okay, that's it for today. I do hope you find that helpful and helpful maybe in you reaching a place where you are able to let go of some of those hurts and resentments that you've held on to for a very long time. That's it for today. A quick reminder that this podcast is hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprite.com and within the episode notes of this podcast there's always a transcript of everything I've said and everything I produce is always free and copyright free and in the public domain for you to use in whatever way you want. Now, if you're not seeing those links and those things wherever you're receiving your podcast currently from, because some of the big podcast providers now and platforms are now blocking active links to other places out of their listings, that's fine. You'll just find there's lots of ways you can connect with me by going to where the podcast is actually hosted as I say, the Bible Project on buzzsprout.com. And there you'll find not only this material, but links to other places where I put more structured training-type discipleship courses. Places like LinkedIn, Patreon, YouTube, even Facebook sometimes. 
Anyway, that's it for today. Thank you again so much. And I do hope you'll join with me again tomorrow or whatever day it is for you when we sit down together and study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.